0: If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review, as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the What's in My Head podcast. Today, I'm joined by not only an author, not only a professor, not only a animation historian. I'm I'm having here. I'm getting all flabbergasted already, Jerry. I've got Mr. Jerry Beck. Jerry, how are you, sir? Hello, I'm fine. Nice to be here,
1: and uh, look forward to whatever we're going to talk about.
0: Me too. Like I said, we're going to roll the dice and see what comes up, man. So I got introduced to you via Fred Seibert, right? So when I started the podcast, I was reaching out to anybody and everybody I could uh, because I see parallels not only in myself, but through your work and stuff, man. I really dig cartoons um, and animation. And, you know, for the longest time, it was just, man, this stuff makes me laugh. And then I started realizing, like, why don't I know his name? Why don't I know her name? Why don't I know all these names, but I know who Bugs Bunny is, I know who Daffy is, you know? And for the most part, everybody knows the big three, the Hannes, the Barberas, and the Joneses, right? Not very many people know, like the Fred Cybers, or not many people know like the Mike Kubats or the Danny Antonucci's, the newer age of animators, right? So I started thinking, and that's when I had Fred on, and he told me about you, and not specifically <laughs> just you, but about this book. He said this book pulled his ass out of the fire, quote, unquote, so many times. When he got to be the last president of Hanna Barbera. Mm -hmm. And uh I have this book is so dense, but dense in the best possible way. I don't mean that as a disparaging remark. It is so filled with so much stuff that I just did not know and did not even think about and all the hurdles that these animators had to go through. You know, essentially what I'm getting at, man, is thank you for writing this book and research. And I want to know, were you pulling your hair out, researching all of this, or was it fun? (laughs) You can see my, my, hair is, my hair is pulled out. You can see that already. This um, is Google, ladies and gentlemen, but you couldn't just Wikipedia this shit. So Jerry had to get on the ground and do the hard work just talking to people, man. But well, I
1: first want to make him make it extremely clear. And I'm, I'm 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 is a part of me that like I like that people think I co-wrote the book. But I I was Leonard's Robin to his Batman. Leonard Maltin is the author of the book and I am the research associate on the title page. Mm-hmm. uh and i did do a lot of we, we were like batman and robin of uh, you know researching animation history at, at that time that time was i know i know it to me i know it's a long time ago and i can't believe it myself it feels like yesterday but um and it was in the 1970s when we worked on that book holy moly and there were no like you said no wikipedia uh no internet uh, nowhere to go for basic information about animation my big thing was part of the In the book, that was was one of my major contributions was the uh, uh, the filmography in the back, the whole list of all the cartoons because that was the roadmap. Mm -hmm. That was done first, and we that was our roadmap for enabling to you know research everything beyond that. And there was no thing like that. Again, there was no IMDb or a place you could go to. Nobody cared. As you're going to hear me say, nobody cared. Perhaps a few times in this thing because that's the world I come from, a, a world where uh, animation was not in the 70s. I'm going to tell you something. I'm a comic book person too. And I went to Comic Cons. I am proud to say, because I think it's actually a badge of honor, I, w- I went to the first, uh well, not the very first Comic Con ever, but the first Bill suling Comic Con, 1968, in New York City. I was 13. There gives you my age. And, uh, <laughs> but I've been going to Comic Cons ever since. I've been involved with Comic Cons. I'm still involved with the Comic Con International. I do a program there every year. I, uh, I uh, used to run film programs in the New York Comic Cons way back in the in the 1970s and 80s, but um, uh, back in those days, back in this when I was in high school and uh, the Comic cons started, Comic Cons were like speakeasies. They were like secret. Nobody it, you only knew about them if you knew about them. You went to the hotel where it was in New York, the Statler Hilton on uh, what was it 33rd and 34th, and it's right across the street from uh, Madison Square Garden. You'd go in the hotel, nobody, no Comic-Con, anything. You just had to know it was on the 18th floor. Maybe there was some little notice that there was a convention on the 18th floor. you get in the elevator, you'd go upstairs. Nobody was walking around in costumes. You'd get off on the 18th floor, there's nothing there. There's nothing. It's, you walk into one of the ballrooms and then there was, a, behind the door, there was a dealer's room. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh. And I'm like, and oh my God, when I saw that for the first time, I, was, I knew I met my people. I'm like, wow, uh, okay, it's, a, it's the world I want to be in, and I've been in it ever since. Um, but uh, to tell anybody, you know, like even in school, in high school, I, you, know, you, you know, I was a, a nerd. I'll, I'll get, I was a nerd, and, you know, to be a comic book reading, cartoon watching nerd in the 70s Wow, that was, uh, you, di- you didn't even tell, you didn't say anything. It was secret. It was unbelievable. You couldn't tell anyone that you read comics because that was for babies. That was what it was considered. You know, it doesn't matter that it was the Marvel comics, it was Stanley and Jack Kirby. You know, we all revere that stuff now, but, and so did I then, but you, you know, the real world wasn't aware of it. And um, so the animation's always been in that same boat for decades. Uh, I guess I guess things are out now, and I've done my part by my my bringing it out. Leonard uh, was my uh, Leonard actually started teaching a class about the history of animation at the New School for Social Research in New York, just as I was getting out of high school and looking into secondary schools and colleges, and I went to the School of Visual Arts in New York. I wanted to be an animator. I was just I drew all through high school and as a kid i wanted to you know be an artist and a cartoonist and that was what i, I had that drive yeah. and except that it was the 70s there was unlike today unlike the last 25 30 years um, there's there, there was no industry at that time uh, disney had died 10 years earlier uh bakshi was big but there was no there was no unified, there was no leader in the field anymore after Disney died. TV cartoons were, in my opinion, awful. You know, the worst of Filmation and Hanna-Barbera. I mean, yeah, as a, I can, I can, you know, as a guilty pleasure, I can dig watching those things now. I mean, you know, for fun, but, um, but as a kid, I mean, you know, even as a teenager, I said, oh yeah, the only good cartoons are these old Looney Tunes. And Mm -hmm. then I remember, I'm sorry, I'm getting off onto my story here and I'll stop. But I, I remember, I remember uh, this is way back then. I was like, I I wanted to know what, I just saw a cartoon, like I turn on CBS Saturday morning and there'd be this cartoon on a Warner Brothers cartoon. Oh yeah. I laughed at this one. Oh, I love this one. What's the name of it. And where would, how would you find that out literally? And after it ended, that was it. It's like, it disappeared into the universe. Um, There was no place to go, no place to get any information. And, so I did, I, my story is I literally every Saturday morning from that point on, it's very nerdy. I sat there and I wrote down the titles of each cartoon as it would come on. And what which one was it? Which Roadrunner it was? Which Bugs Bunny, what plot that particular title was, you know, and uh, eventually I came around to the one that I was waiting for, the one that I had, that had started this, that I had seen. That one happens to be a cartoon called It's Hummer Time is the name of that cartoon. Uh, it's very odd. Robert McKimson cartoon, but it was as a, that to me is the uh the catalyst for me. Uh just started me on a career of trying to document these cartoons, you know. That this how many Hollywood cartoons were there? How many Warner Brothers cartoons were there? Who directed them? Who animated them? You know, uh all this kind of info, difficult to track down. That's what led me to Leonard. Leonard was teaching a class on history of animation at the new school, and he had already written two books that I had bought and they were like my guides except they had uh one was the great movie shorts which was a great book about live action movie shorts um that lists like all the our gang and three stooges and laurel and hardy shorts and he did it the way exactly i wanted it which was the title the release date the director who's in it what it's about you know and that's in within this book i was like i need a i need that for cartoons that was my mind it was i need that for cartoons and um He then did a book called uh, the Disney films of all things. He didn't quite do that book. That film mainly covered the feature films that Disney had made uh, and listed shorts, but it didn't list all. It it didn't have a lot of information on all the shorts, but it had a basic list. And I thought, okay, I got to I'd love to meet this guy. And I found out he was teaching a class on animation. Okay, well, my life's complete. I just need to meet him (laughs) and talk to him about that. And uh, went in and we became best friends like right away. He had a very weird, it was a college level course. And there were only 10 people in it. And, I, and it was a very high tuition, which I didn't matter. I had to get in this class and I got in and we were like, I, I, he, I brought one of my, I don't I have it on my bookshelf, uh, the, uh, the Disney films and the great movie shorts. I brought them with me for him to autograph the geeky nerd I was. <laughs> and he luckily, aut- he not only autographed it, he put the date on it. So now I, I have the date I met him and uh, which I've now forgotten what it was, but it's something like, like, like January two, 1974 or something like that. And, um, and then that was the beginning of a beautiful relationship because we uh, was saw eye to eye on a lot of things. And um, uh, it took a while we, we, you know, he, to get around to the idea of him doing a book because he was already an author. And I was like, well, I kept goading him into, you should do what you're teaching about animation. You should do a book about animation. But there were reasons it was felt it was too complicated. It was very, very difficult at that time. I, I had started on my own, mm-hmm. researching these all these filmographies of the studios, all of the Warner cartoons, all of the MGM cartoons, all of the Paramount cartoons. And I showed that to him. And you know, again, it took maybe a year of, you know these these lists are the basis of what the book is and then we from that point on we spent literally two or three years working on that book um uh, i still remember that the day we uh sent in the physical manuscript again no computers everything was typewritten uh the physical manuscript which was like a like unbelievably you know papers stacked to the ceiling and uh we had to mail it or ship it by federal express or something and i remember that that the uh it was one year before the book came out. So it was in somewhere in 1979, uh, uh, probably spring of 79 is probably when we sent the book to the publisher to be edited and all sorts of things that they, it took a year to get it into print. And I, I just remember that because I was dying to see it in print. I couldn't wait.
0: Anyway, I told you I'd give you long answers and probably digress into different areas. Oh man. Hey man. I, I tell everybody this time because this, this, this medium is not something you can do in an hour and two hours and three hours. I mean, it's something that is not only ever evolving, but it's got so many different chapters, you know, pun intended. There's so many different chapters to this, this entire story that is animation. And I love just to use a reference for me because I work in the restaurant industry. I love seeing how the sausage is made, right? I like seeing, and seeing where people's thoughts go, because I have this, this is why it's called What's in My Head, because I'll get off on one tangent and that'll lead to something else and we'll start talking about something else, but it brings out a beautiful conversation and why it might not 100% be about the topic that we're talking about. It's a conversation between two people. I think that's what's missing in this world these days is there's not enough of this. It's just either yell, yell, yell one side, yell, yell, yell one side. Everybody's got to get their shit in essentially. Everybody's got to get their points in, but nobody's really listening. And I feel like when people like you sit here and talk, especially when you got people like me that listen, I like hearing this stuff because you got to do some shit that I'll never get to do. Right. You got to talk to some of the biggest people when researching this stuff and seeing all of this stuff. I looked at cartoons for the longest time. Like I said, just to be entertained, to veg out, to sit on a chair, sit in a couch and just be whisked away into a whimsical wonderland for Mm -hmm. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, depending on what it was. Right. So, you know, like I said, banter or go on as long as you need to man because you know whether it's this month next month six months from now i'm pretty sure you'll come back on um i hope you come back on and we can talk more in depth on certain things but I, like i said i like having an organic conversation whether it's on topic or off topic a conversation is a conversation so i appreciate all the stories you're telling because what i've noticed about talking to people in this industry there's a lot of guarded people They'll mm-hmm. give you yes and no answers. Very rarely will people like yourself wax poetically about something that they're so just entrenched and ingrained with an animation, right? When, when it comes to nerds, like I'll show you just a screenshot back here. I don't want to go too deep because we're in the middle of remodeling a lot of the upstairs. So there's a lot of shit in the office that shouldn't really be in here. Cause you see my iron giants, my Batman's, you know, yeah. but comic books, right? So comic books in general, it is what you were saying earlier, you couldn't, you had to be closeted to an extent. You couldn't tell people you were a comic book fan, a cartoon fan, because it was just for babies. It's just for kids. Bullshit is the the first answer. These things go deeper than so many other books. You can get so much character development out of a 22-page comic book with 10, 15 panels per page, depending on who's writing and who's drawing, that you can get out of a two-hour movie. I've seen some two, three-hour movies that had no character-driven story, had no development of any of these characters. And what you can get out of a Bugs Bunny cartoon or a Batman comic book in mm-hmm. a 10-minute read is astonishing, right? And just to let you know, that 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 kind of mindset, I got beaten up for an... You remember the Super Friends Aquaman?
1: Uh, wait, say it again. The, in what? Sup- what you, you say? You remember
0: the Super Friends Aquaman? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Super right? Friends, yeah, yeah. So I got beaten up for having an Aquaman doll when I was seven eight and this is early 90s and stuff so that 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 kind of mindset still you didn't let everybody yeah. know you were into batman and now that the nerds are kind of ruling the world man this is our time to shine we don't have to be in the nuclear bunkers anymore is what i'm getting right. we can come out right. we can flourish um you know so it is a great time to be alive um and going back to another point you had brought up when you met leonard i mm-hmm. mean was it hard to talk to him you said you, you came off as almost best friends because you guys had a lot of the same you know idiosyncrasies or you had a lot of the same passions but was it hard to talk to him since you looked up to him at a certain point well
1: you know it's weird i I've, even today there are people i admire and i have a hard time uh sometimes people go you want to meet blah 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 i mean and i'm like whoa i i have so much i love what that person does but i have nothing to say to them in the case i guess in my case i was truly on a mission uh a, almost a spiritual mission to find out what was you know this this backstory on animation one that literally nobody else was into i didn't know anybody none of my close friends i have a lot of good friends who are into movies Uh, i'm I'm a movie buff too i I have a lot of other things besides just the animation but um i have a lot of friends who are into uh movies in particular and other other pop culture aspects and but no one else was interested in, in the cartoons as much as i was and um maybe because i was drawing and again i wanted to be an animator i had all these little plans in my mind and um uh, leonard had done these books that i had read and when you read a book by anybody you almost feel you know the author anyway yeah. You know, when you're reading a book and so plus it was a class like i said um i was a student enrolled in this class and there were only like 10 people there and when the first class was over the very first one was done uh, everybody filed out cause they were just wanting to go home. And I went up to Leonard and I said, I go, that was great. And i had some of his books and I got into a conversation with him and I can't remember the exact, I just, re- I remember this being there. I remember being in the room and uh, talking to him, but I don't remember exactly what was said exactly. But, um, uh, all I know is for the next, you know, 10, 15, I think probably 15 weeks or something, I was going to get this little class from leonard and i was just i just enjoyed the hell out of it because there was nothing like it it's like today we have you know dvds and blu-rays with uh with you know with the the backstories and bonus documentaries and stuff and there was i was getting my own private tutoring by you know and again no leonard was not famous he was not he had written these books but he was not he became famous later uh like in the 1980s he was he went ended up on uh on entertainment tonight moved to california and uh became well known um and i i'd still say he is still still well known and uh but um but i knew him when and i got to meet him you know when he was still a, kind of a struggling writer you know and he had this teaching gig and he was working on another book and uh you know i he had just gotten married and uh I, you know i just became a friend i'm still a best friend to, to the Maltons, and and uh, uh, it, was, it, was, it was great. I mean, I don't even know what else more to say about it. We, we just did what we felt we needed to do. You know, it was almost a calling, you know. And again, it's, it's not like there were other people doing it. it was, we did have, There were some other fans and fanzines. And Mike Barrier, Michael Barrier, who had a fanzine called Funny World, and had announced to the world that he was going to write The Ultimate History. And we believed him. And by the way, he did do it something like 25 years later. He has a great book called uh, Hollywood Cartoons, but we expected it out in the 70s. He was working on it, he had interviewed, he had interviewed a lot of the major uh, players in, uh, uh, and he wrote a great book. I mean, it's a different book than of Mice and Magic. Mice and Magic is a little more like a textbook in a way. You know, it, it, it's, it's, I, I, I mean, it's the, it's the prim, primer, if that's the right word. It's the first book I think you should read. Uh, if, if one is just getting into it. And then and then there's plenty of, now at this point in time, those are all animation books and you can't even yeah. see the whole thing. It goes down there, you know. Um, uh, and I have uh, tons more. So I, mean, I remember I remember a world when, when uh, I remembered like, like, hey, I can fill one bookcase shelf with animation <laughs> books. I remember that. And th- now I've got like tons of, a whole library full of books, you know. So speaking to the animation,
0: yeah. So speaking on that, because whenever you have something that comes out that is, you know, a pop culture phenom or a zeitgeist, you know, insert, uh-huh. you know, Batman gets spawned. So just use that as an example. They're gonna have let's see what else, or no, perfect example, Ninja Turtles, right? So when Ninja Turtles came out back in 1984, there Mm -hmm. were so many people trying to cash in on ninjas and mutants, not just tortoises. I think they tried it with rabbits. They tried it with this. They tried it with that. So when, when all of that happens, especially with this book that we're talking about right now, with Mice and Magic, Mm -hmm. because you guys said, what was that? What was the gentleman you just said? um, Hollywood, Michael Barrier, Mike Barrier, Michael Barrier, right? So when your book came out, did you notice that more books were starting to come out about animation at that point, roughly around the same time yours was? Did you guys start looking well, essentially Yeah,
1: I mean, I mean, before of Mice and Magic in the early 70s, um, one of the first books was uh, Christopher Finch's The Art of Walt Disney, which is still in print. You can still buy that book, yeah. The Art of Walt Disney. Uh, that was like in the early 70s. And that was a big, that was a big deal. That was a revelation. Okay. Um, I believe it came out in, uh, uh, you know, it was, I, th- I think, it was the 50th anniversary of the Disney studio, like 73, because they, this Disney studio started in 23, right? Something like that. And, um, uh, and then about two years later in 75, there was two other fr- people who turned, uh, ultimately would become very good friends of mine, very close friends of mine, uh, came out with books. One was, uh, Leslie Kabarga, uh, who's a great, Graphic artist, font designer, fantastic. He's he's still around. He did a book called The Fleischer Story, okay, and uh, that book came. preceded us. That was a great uh, just on the Fleischers, and um, that book is almost an out uh, an offshoot of Leslie was what we called back then an underground cartoonist. Today you might say alternative cartoonist. I'm not sure what you'd say today, but that was when you know Marvel, DC, Harvey, Archie, Gold yeah. Key, you know, and then and then there were then the, and then the alternate. The underground was our crumb, you know what I mean? And you know, Kim Deitch. I'm trying to think of the big names in underground comics. And um, Leslie was one. Was a cartoonist in the world of underground cartoonists at that time. It meant that meant uh, they could have sex and yeah. nudity. And it was just. It was again. This is 1968, 69, 70. So around 75, uh, Leslie on his own. He was really into the Fleischer style, the surreal aspects of the early. Fleischer cartoons, um, and uh, did this book in that style. because he, he's an artist. He he kind of did a Fleischer story in this in a very artistic way. It's a very cool book. Anyway, uh, that came out in '75. As did a book called Tex Avery: King of Cartoons by my friend uh, Joe Adamson, who's a great uh, film historian and writer. He did books on the Marx Brothers and W.C. Fields, and um, he's he's a really uh, great meticulous historian and he came out with this book just about Tex Avery cartoons. And that was pretty odd. And, um, and Leonard actually edited that book. And when it came out in 75, and that was in the thick of, you know, this class. And I was taking the class at that time that that Leonard was teaching. So there was something in the air about his, you know, and, and Mike Barrier, who I mentioned, he had a fanzine, a fantastic fanzine called Funny World. And I don't know if you can still, you can get it on eBay or so you can find it, the issues. He only would come out with one every year or two, but it was very professionally produced interviews at that time with Chuck Jones and Bob Clampett and Ralph Bakshi and people like that. It was like, whoa, this was the premiere. It was actually a first class magazine on under any circumstances at a time when fanzines were mimeographed and typewriter written and very funky looking. He did a very professional looking magazine. And um, it was a fanzine, and that's that. So there, there was, there was, this was in the air, but it was just like the comic fandom of that time. It was, you, ha- everything was by the mail. You know, you'd wait in the, for the mail for a, you know, a fanzine to arrive or a book to arrive. Uh, maybe something would show up at a comic book convention. When it comes to animation, um, uh, you know, something needed to be done, I guess. And uh, we 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 ended up uh, attempting to do it. Luckily, part of the story of telling the story of animation was out of New York, where we were, because uh, the Fleischer studio was there. A lot, a lot of people were still alive. A yeah. lot of animators were still working, actually, in the, in the 70s. So uh, we got to meet them and talk to them. We, we, we couldn't get video copies of anything. That we, There was no home video. This is before home video. We had to get 16 millimeter film prints.
0: Were they very uh, guarded? What's that? Were they guarded? I, the only reason I asked that is- What do I, you mean by guarded? What is? What do you mean by guarded? I'm, so I'm sure. maybe protected. So, so let me use, did you ever watch wrestling? And by wrestling, I don't mean Olympic uh, wrestling. I mean- w- Only, there. Only no, no, I would say no, but ba- barely. Of course, I'm aware of wrestling and I have friends who are into it, but I'm-, I'm Okay, not. so so back in the day, they had this thing It's called kayfabe where they tried to keep, they wanted it to look as real as possible. Mm-hmm. And anytime somebody would say, oh, this shit isn't real- Somebody would get slapped in the face or punched in the head or like, was that real? That type of stuff. So when I say guarded or protected, I notice a lot of industries, I don't want to say they don't give away their secrets, but they're very tough to break into and talk about. There's no real true career path. If you start here, you get here. And I try to draw those parallels with wrestling because with animation, there's people that just did it as a job, right? So, were they very, like I don't want to say protective of the, the industry or the trade secrets or anything like that, but was it hard to get into and talk to some of these guys, these animators that were still alive?
1: No, um, not in my mind, uh, no. Uh, boy, oh boy, where do I, how do I begin to answer this? The There was, in New York, there was, and there still is, there was there's a group, I'm actually the vice president of the LA chapter of this group, it's called Asifa. A-S-I-F-A. It's an animation organization, nonprofit. It was started back, I think, in the early 60s -hmm. because it was a little organization of, if you loved animation or you were, basically you were an animator, uh, you would join it because it wasn't, there were no dues or anything. You would join it uh, because it was a way to keep in touch with other animators around the world. It was such a small community that, it was international and it was still a small community and all the key people. I don't know if you know a lot of the big names in international animation like Osamu Tezuka, you know, who created Astro Boy, who was the one could say created anime and manga. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he was a big part of it. Um, uh, the um, I got to meet him, by the way, um, the uh, many, many other Bruno Bezzetto. I, I, these are the big names. John Hallis. Uh, Many, many big names in in classic animation, not to mention in America, people like Ward Kimball and June Foray was the first president of the of the L.A. branch. And uh, so uh, the people who were in animation, they really appreciated it, loved it and wanted to do anything they could to popularize it more and to show people it wasn't just a kid's medium. And so so um, there were animation studios in New York and people who did animation um and if you showed an interest in it in its history they were like they, first they were like I can't believe you'd be interested in that and secondly they'd be <laughs> happy to talk to you about it you know and what was going on it was no you know it wasn't really hidden uh it's hidden in plain sight if anything yeah. um, you know guarded no I don't think so I mean you know, the movie studios um, and the films, you know, they ran them on TV back then. Not everything, but they ran, you know, Looney, as they do today at the moment Looney Tunes and Tom and Jerry and Popeye and all that stuff. But we didn't have VCRs. We couldn't record them. We couldn't record them to study them. We couldn't. And the only way you could do that was there was an underground market. Talk mm-hmm. about underground again. There was an illegal underground market, uh, still exists, that collected movies, that collected film prints. And uh, they would usually get like somebody like me, if I was interested in cartoons, you know, uh, there were, there was a newspaper, very secret subscription only. There was, there was some mail order companies um, and you'd get like these, uh, I suppose you could say black market, but they basically uh, movies, uh, TV stations would at some point discard their film prints, whether the contract ran out or they got scratched up or something. And, the garbage men would actually take them out of the garbage and sell them to collectors. And that's how we got a lot of film prints. So uh, I still have a, my film collection from those days and there's still a healthy uh, film collecting community out there, but um, that's the way we had to watch things. We had to watch things on a uh, projectors and stuff. And I mean, it was just a different world. I, the, we, you know, I, I keep wondering, uh, I guess a kid today would be like too bad you had it like that. It wasn't as easy as a button push. And that's true, but it's we had everything you have today, except it was just slower and took more time to do it or see it, but we had everything else. You know, you could, it was all doable. We did it, you know? So uh, uh, it's it's much easier today in today's world, you know, uh, with all the inventions. I feel like we're I'm a time traveler. and I'm from the old age, you know, and we have this <laughs> computer thing with Zoom, anyway. But I uh,
0: no, it's great. I mean, I'm loving it. It's uh, everything can be done much faster and quicker and and cooler. Anyway. There's there for sure something missing in this generation. I think my generation, and I'm only I'll be 32 in August. Mm-hmm. Um, so my generation, I want to say we're the first generation that appreciates, you know, animation because your generation before me appreciated animation just as much, if not more. But I think my generation is the first generation that can do what we're doing now, right? Just by sending an email, looking up on social media. That's how I connect. I, I was like, oh, I love this book so much. And then I just happened to be on Facebook and it said, you know, if you're friends with this one, you might like this one and your name popped up. And I'm like, no, this isn't the Jerry Beck that, 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 that helped out on this book. It can't be. And I click on your name and I start reading. I'm like, holy shit. This is the guy that I'm reading is I'm, I'm reading the book that he helped research right now. I was like, <laughs> it's just like what you said. It's so easy these days. And there's something with this podcast. I love how easy it is. And I love people that come on like yourself that like to talk and that are very, very just, just fact giving and, and, and forthright with everything. It, it makes my job so much easier because there's so many people I've had on here. It's just like they answer the question. That's it. And I'm like, all right. Well, that wasn't really a yes or no question. You know, uh, can you can you can you give me a little bit more? So it's it's very refreshing, is what I'm getting at, Jerry. Um, I'll give you too you. much. I'll give you too much information. Don't worry. There's no such thing. When it comes to me, there's no such thing as too much information. When it comes to this field, uh, yeah. But but it, this generation for sure, we're the first generation that can go out there and say, click button, push email, send, send, send. Uh, you know, who going back to you, but. How, who was the hardest person when you were researching for this book and just doing research in general for your job, who was one of the hardest people to really get a hold of and really talk with? Do you remember? Or was um, there a white whale out there that you really wanted?
1: Well, personally, I, I don't even think Leonard got to Tech Savory, who was still around. He passed mm-hmm. away when the Brown around, around the time, when the book came out, mm-hmm. but, um, um, but, I never met Tex Avery and I would love to have met him. I was able to meet, we did meet like Friz Freeling, Bob Clampett, Chuck Jones. I mean, all the main players who were still alive when we were working on it. There were some that passed away before us. Um, uh, Why? Let me think about that for a second. I don't think anybody was uncooperative. I re- I'm, that sounds like a, I don't have a good story for that because I don't have, I can't think of a case where if only we could have talked to this guy, everybody was, uh, you know, happy to talk. I mean, I think part of it was um, Leonard was then and always has been a very serious minded guy. He wasn't a goofball. You know, I mean, I've met people throughout the years, you know, who I can't believe that guy, you you know, like you're a very smart, serious, sometimes it comes down to it's horrible in a way, but appearance in terms of, appearance and uh intelligence and the way you're asking questions and things like that because i've met some people who are the complete opposite just complete you know uh goofballs and uh you know you got to be kind of professional that's something i learned from leonard leonard was kind of my mentor i'm getting (laughs) off on another subject so i better not do that but no please go no i just uh by by so early my college years you know uh uh, meeting someone who was doing what I wanted to do. And then we were together working on something that was going to result in a book that I wanted to read, uh, (laughs) that, um, uh, and I saw how Leonard did what he did and in how he conducted himself, but also how he put things together. And that was my school. If anything, that was my college. Uh, uh, it's how I uh, tried to do the rest of my life. You know, I've done, you know, like about 15 other books and, uh, I'm teaching now. Uh, so, I mean, I, and I, I, public speak and Leonard was a public speaker for years uh, before I ever did it. And uh, I literally studied him I and I would ask him, how do you do this? And how are you? And uh, um, and that's, so anyway,
0: so that's so I have nothing but greatest respect, and I forgot what your question was or how I even got there. What was the question again? Oh, well, it was just like who, who, who was somebody that was difficult to get oh. a hold of, or You get to talk to everybody. You answer that question. Yeah. There were some people that had passed yeah. on before you got the chance.
1: Yeah, I mean, back in those days, um, you know, we we were in New York, so we didn't fly out to California all the time or anything like that. So a lot of stuff was done over the phone. Uh, we did meet a lot of the New York animation people in New York, but in person, but. Uh, but a lot of stuff, a lot of interviews were done, conducted over the phone. So, but they were, everybody was friendly and helpful. I mean, I'm now in, now as time has gone on, as many of these people passed away, I really cherish uh, the times I spent with people like Chuck Jones, Frizz Freeling and Bob Clampett. And I kind of like, I know, I, I, it's hard for me to say it as I know I was their friend. I'm not just saying yeah. you know, this person was my friend. I mean, I, I got, I got to meet these, they were idols to me. And I feel like I, you know, I had dinners with them and I talked to them and I explained where I was coming from and how their work impacted my life. And um, it was great. I mean, I just, I was so happy to have that opportunity to tell them to their face and to champion them as best I can. Still to this day, I'm very good friends with their families, Linda Jones and Ruth Clampett and and the Freeling daughters, and uh, so many people. Um, uh, you know, it's and I, I, I'm I'm grateful for that, and I'm very happy about it because I'm I want to do them right. I want to make sure not their legacy, their parents' legacy, uh, uh, the films themselves. I mean, we're we're kind of there, and I'm very proud of that. It's the job isn't over yet. I have plenty more to do, but I uh, but we're in a wonderful place right now where a lot of these films are restored. Uh, or being restored. Um, I mean, the era that I grew up in, uh, a lot of the, let's, let's just take Warners, because I could say this times 10, because we could talk about Warner Brothers, uh, Disney, every other studio, but let's just take Warner Brothers. You know, we, I watched them on TV when I came home from school, or on Saturday morning. Maybe the Saturday morning uh, CBS broadcast was in 35 millimeter. And it looked pretty good. They were all, I now know they were just using old prints, film prints, which could get scratches and lines and stuff. And the, the, TV, the local TV in my in, my, in New York, uh, Channel 5 in New York, you know, they were running 16 millimeter film prints. They looked crummy. They yeah. were dupes of dupes. The colors were fading. I mean, there were splices. I mean, the whole thing was just ridiculous. But you know what? We love the cartoons. They were great. <laughs> they were fine. As the years have gone on, I have done many, many, many screenings in museums and venues and theaters and public screenings where I talk in advance and we show a film. And I've gone from showing 16 millimeter prints, some of the ones from my own collection, to then showing some 35 millimeter prints that maybe we could borrow from Warner Brothers. Um, In the digital age, we've gone back, and I'm part of this, we've gone back to the original Nitrate Negatives Mm-hmm. the negatives, you know, and restored the films from, so that when we're watching them now, right now, there's a, a couple of shows on me TV uh, show. There's one show called tune in with me on set on weekday mornings at seven o'clock. And they run these mint condition, beautiful restorations of the Tom and Jerry Warner brothers, cartoons, Popeye cartoons. I was part of that because all of those restorations were done. Well, 90, 80% of them were done for, home video in the last 15 years. And I was part of putting them out on home video. Well, these cartoons weren't even on television for 15 years, but we, we kept them alive on home video. We restored them. And those beautiful restorations are back on TV now. And I feel like that's what I'm, you know, I don't care if I had credit or I, I, nobody knows. I I had something to do with getting them on there one way or another in the, the, the beautiful copies of the films. And uh, I want people to see them that way. I want people to, to see them the, be blown away by the color, by the by the print quality, but more so, of course, the content of the cartoons, the humor, the animation, the artwork. Uh, uh, I mean, they're they're gems. Again, here I go. I'm, this is my thing. But when it comes to the Warner Brothers cartoons, and I can say this about probably all the Hollywood theatrical cartoons, these were made for theaters. They weren't made for kids. They were aimed at the entire movie-going audience. That's why every once in a while there's a hubbub about. Pepe Le Pew at the moment, you know. Uh, yeah, it's from another era and it was aimed at adults. You know, it's not a kid's cartoon. That's the problem. People see these things as old kids fodder. They're not, they're, they were not meant to be that way. And they're, they're jewels or gems, I like to say, of the Warner Brothers vault, but they don't treat them that way. They treat the Wizard of Oz and Casablanca and Citizen Kane, rightly so, as iconic classics of Hollywood cinema. That's what Bugs Bunny is, in my opinion. The great Warner cartoons are equivalent to that, and so that's my job. I teach uh, at several schools the history of animation. I try to instill that in people. I try to show people, you know, what these were. They're not just funky, splicey old film prints. They're 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 major cinema that needs to be looked at, studied, appreciated, celebrated, and um, that's what I do. That's everything I do, whatever it is, whatever you could find on my list of things I've done. uh, It's all about um, communicating to the general public that this stuff isn't just kids stuff. I guess it goes back to my high school years and everybody telling me it's kids stuff and I'm just rebelling against it. I'm telling everybody, no, no, really look at this. And I
0: can go on and on about that. So you better ask me another question. No, it's, I, there's two points I want to make. Yeah. And and one of those points was something I talked about when I started this podcast. I told you that story earlier. But when I started this podcast, I had a guy that I met on that is in the same boat I am. We see a medium we like. And he's more anime and mm-hmm. that style because that's what he's into. You know, he does some cartoons and stuff like that. Right. Um, but he said something that was really profound. And it really sticks to me, especially like when I have. You know a shitty comment on one of my videos like if if you go and look at the cheryl chase video there was somebody that went and posted and well,
1: it's I think heard about that
0: yeah yeah I, I shared that picture um and it didn't do anything besides make me laugh because it's just i know what they're doing they're essentially trying to troll right and mm-hmm. when you go and look at her page or his page i couldn't tell and that's not me trying to be you know demeaning of anything like that but i, I just could not tell female name but who knows? I don't want to get in there and get anybody canceled here at this point because they canceled Pepe Le Pew and people like Pepe LePew. They'll cancel the fuck out of me. And then nobody likes me, but nonetheless, man, that's so what I'm getting at is, you know, when, when I, when I was talking to him, he, he said this thing it was called passion over profit. And when I talked to you, right, you'd said something so, so profound. You were like, I don't care if I get credit. I want these guys, legacies. I want these guys, families, these guys, kids, nobody is ever going to forget. Who bugs bunny is i don't care where you are in this country i've been deployed so many different countries in this entire world i've seen places that most people will never go to right i've talked to people that most people have an issue with and they've never talked to this style of people right so what i'm getting at is i've been all over the world jerry and i can go to the middle east just like i can go to italy just like i can go to any part in east asia i can go to any of these places and they know who bugs bunny is right mm. but very few people know who drew Bugs Bunny, who produced Bugs Bunny. A lot of people know who Mel Blanc is that voiced Bugs Bunny, but not very many people knew who put in the line work, the detail, the painstaking hours of just repeat, redraw, repeat, redraw for all these things, right? And you were sitting here doing, and I use this in the Cheryl one, you're doing the Lord's work here, man. You're Mm -hmm. really taking stuff and making sure the people that worked so damn hard for us to be entertained, right? So hard to just, transport somebody to a rabbit hole for twenty right. minutes right and you, you just clicked on it man like i just automatically think passion over prop if people would take just an ounce of what you just said and apply that to their daily life man this world would be a better place yeah and I, mean, you
1: know, I mean you said it just now a really important thing about entertainment about about these people doing these this thing to entertain all without really with any real public credit yeah. um, the uh, uh but that's the thing i one thing i say to my students uh because i kind of figure they're coming in here skeptical they're most of my students are animation students they're they're now wanting to work you know, maybe at disney or do their own film or whatever and um and they i guess were required to take my class or something and i uh, i'm like why am i why are we why am i showing you about the history of animation why should you care and um because what you're doing and what what you want to do mm-hmm. you the animation student um is you you know you're creating entertainment and it's so important in this crazy world we've got you know we need to laugh we need to take our mind off of our everyday life no one i don't no one can just say it's just a cartoon that's for kids it's baby talk no 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 it's 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 we need we human beings on planet earth need this yes. and it's an important thing now why are you looking at a history of animation another thing i say is that uh, i usually i usually put out a challenge i've been doing it remotely for a year so i'm i'm a little rusty on how i do it in, in person but i usually put out a challenge and i say uh, like who's your favorite animator mm-hmm. who, who what's a name you know you know what's a name what and I'll even take it a step, another step. I'll say, name a fi- filmmaker you love. Let's just go to filmmaker for a minute. Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, Quentin Tarantino. I mean, I don't know who they're gonna name. You know, who's your admirer? I don't care who they name. Steven Soderbergh. I, don't, I can tell you absolutely that all those names that I just mentioned and all any name they do say, those people know their film history. They know the history of film. I guarantee mm-hmm. you, inside and out. That's what inspires their work. That inspires them to do what they're doing. Um, quite frankly, I, I know a lot of them know their animation history. And when it comes to animation people, Brad Bird, Matt Groening, I'm trying to think of who you might name. Um, those people know. And I, in the case of the animation people, I've met them and I've talked to them, and uh, they know their stuff. They know. They know. They know where they're even where their place is in this crazy medium and the history of it. And, how we got here. Um, uh, I mean, I could tell you so many things about up, you know, the, what's going on, the people who are working in it now, the people who worked in it then, it's all connected. It's a little community that's grown, but it's still a little community. And I love that it's grown to include the fans and the people who just appreciate it. That's what I am. I'm just a fan. I'm just a, a person, I wanted to be an animator, but, um, and I have worked in animation in many capacities. By a crazy career. But um uh you know I found out early on. I'm sorry, here's a digression. <laughs> I recognize it. I feel like I'm in therapy right now. I'm recognizing <laughs> that digression. But I recognized, I remember early on that um oh, oh 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 wait a minute, I'm losing my thought now. I'm getting the old man thing, I'm losing my thought. Um no. Um, oh, you know what? I did forget. Edit this. No, I did forget
0: the uh, what I was going to say. It'll come back to me later, but it was something good.
1: It was something really, really good.
0: You were just talking about all of the different film animation histories. When you asked a student, you know, where this guy is, yeah. just Matt Groening, Brad Bird, you, you know, Quentin Tarantino, Spielberg. Uh, yeah. Oh, I know what I was going to say, what I was going to say. So you can edit and come in now uh,
1: was that um, when I was younger, when I was still in that college level area where I was wanted to be an animator, but I was finding out that the history of animation was more my thing. Keep in mind this I'm talking about the years 74, 5, 6. And I'm like, I'm like, that was the I call it the dregs of animation. The worst stuff came out during that period. And the only good stuff was the past. Yeah. And I was I my a little motto that I subsequently named when I think about that period. Because it was uh, is is the name of a movie Back to the Future. I keep thinking that's the future. Is in looking back. You got to look back to see what was done in order to create the future. That's the way I see it. But what I was going to say was, I realized that back then and into the '80s, that people who loved animation, everybody who loved it, everyone who was as nutty for it as me, went into it just like I wanted to. Everybody was an artist, and or maybe in some cases, a writer, and they went into the field to do it. Same thing's true in some ways in the, at that era of comic books. A lot of the biggest fans really, you know, evolved into writing and drawing for the comics in the 1970s and 80s. The, um, what, I, what I noticed in the case of animation was they needed outside support. That's what I became. They, they needed... Someone, because it if, if Disney's is different, Disney's an uh, exception to the rule. Disney was since the thirties by being successful and only devoted to animation, uh, their support system, how movies, how their Disney movies were released, how the people, how people outside of Disney accepted them. That was a thing that was already there for like 40 years already by the 1970s, any other animator working outside Disney. And that was a lot of people. Uh, didn't have that same support system is the only way I can put it. There weren't people writing great articles about them. There weren't the distributors themselves, the film distributors, couldn't care less about an animated movie. It's a weird thing to say. I mean, I'd have to go into the weeds of explaining that, but it was a, it was a different time. And so I began to find a place for myself in the, in the, ni- in the late 1970s uh, by being a writer, Mm-hmm. I ultimately became a, uh, a film distributor. That was a weird, I wouldn't even ever have thought to go into that, but it was a, it was a choice and it was a place I could do it. I, I had the right opportunities. I was in New York where I could do that in New York. It was a, you know, an unusual occupation and um, uh, you know, and that's what I've been. I've been, I've been, I'm happy. I'll, I, you know, I'll say that about me that uh, I was a supporter of anime. That's why I've done blogs. That's why I've done everything you can think of in support of, of animation. That's why I'm uh, one of the people running the Asifa organization. We give we give out the Annie Awards mm-hmm. in our group. It's like kind of kind of the Oscars for for yeah. animation. Uh, you know, I've done cable TV shows about animation. I mean, I've done I've written bonus documentaries for you know the, the, the videos. I'm forgetting everything I've done, but I've, everything I've done has been in support of the, of the, of the medium one way or another with the extra dollop of it's that I want you to know. It's not just for kids. Yeah. None yeah. of my books obviously are meant for kids. Um, not that there's anything X-rated in them. I still remember on one last aside, uh, uh, when I was proposing, um, a book about the history of Warner Brothers cartoons. In fact, it was this book, Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies, The Guide to the Warner Brothers Cartoons. When I proposed this book, um, the, the publishers were like, well, who would buy a book like this? Like, who's the audience for this? You know, outside of Of Mice and Magic, I know, but outside, at the time, outside of Of Mice and Magic um, and a few others that I mentioned, they were really, they were like, you know, it was like an adjunct of comic books. It was not... The publisher of this was like, well, no, we don't. We publish books with the Looney Tunes license, but they're all kitty books. Yeah. We don't publish one aimed at grownups. And anyway, uh, <laughs> I said, you know, and same thing you just did. I said, I said, you know, I don't know who the audience is. I'm, you should never admit, admit that. But I said, I don't <laughs> know who the audience is, except I'm the audience for it. I, I know that I need a book like this. And I figure if I need it, there must be some other people who
0: need it. So that was that was what we went on. I I don't know how many times I've said this uh, during this podcast, whenever I have somebody on it's, it's, I've been, you know, transported away to a different time, whether it's (laughs) through through a movie, through whatever it is, my guests have done, man. And if nobody else watches this, and I always say this, I hope everybody watches this Mm because everybody needs to watch this. If nothing else than listening to two guys talk about animation rambles and stories on both sides, man, it is, there is a medium for everything, and just like you a second ago, I lost my train of thought here, um, mm. but, oh, I remember where I was going. I Like, this podcast is m- multiple things. It's me giving thanks for taking my mind off of something. Last year, for most people, was the worst year anybody's ever lived through, whether it's you were a non-essential and you lost your job and you had to stay at home or you had to work double time because you were an essential member of this community or world and you just got worked into the ground, right? So, so right. last year was a wake-up call. And I've said this story, like I said, multiple times now, but I'm going to tell you because I really want you to know where I'm coming from when I have people on here. I don't have people on here just to get clicks, just to get likes. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if I've learned anything in this past year, it is time is short right? Um, I don't know if you're a basketball fan at all. It seems like you, all you do is research animation (laughs) fans. So I got to imagine time for you is very, very limited. Um, but I am a huge basketball fan. Last year we lost Kobe Bryant, one of the greatest players of all time. Tragically at the age of 41 with his 12 or 13 year old. I can't remember her age. Excuse me, Gigi. I I apologize. Uh, but we lost
1: who won an an Oscar for
0: an animated film. Yep. And he was an author as well. Um, (laughs) and, uh, I heard a song right after that. There was a song by a rapper, his name is Joyner Lucas, and he had a song called Will. And it was talking about his greatest inspiration was Will Smith, right? Mm-hmm. From all of the movies to, to to all of his voice that he lent and all these different things he did. His idol was Will Smith. And he had a line in there, and this came out a few months after, maybe a few weeks after Kobe had died. He had a line in there that says, Give them a rose while they're still here. Now you brought it up a couple different times, your age, right? And I'm not calling yeah. you old. You're not calling you old, Jerry, but what I'm saying is, is the reason I wanted to have you on is I didn't want to miss my chance of saying thank you for your contributions to this, man. Thank you. Um I I've like I said, last year was a complete just vortex when it comes to a lot of stuff but it really put into a lot of stuff in perspective i did not want to miss my chance of saying thank you so i haven't finished this book i'm about halfway through it right now oh. three, quarters, three quarters of the way right but i've went back and reread some stuff you can see i've got sticky notes all now you can see I got sticky notes top and bottom here. Um, you know, because stuff I just, I want to retain. I want to learn it, Cause I, you won't get, you won't get cool points for this when you go out inside, but you can tell somebody like, Oh, did you know this about this, about this? And right. I feel cool when I get to say that, but I'm referencing a lot of the hard work you did. So I'm taking credit for you, Jerry, but I always say you got to read of mice and magic. So I don't ever take credit where credit's not due. Right. So, um, but I, I it really echoed home and I really wanted to make sure when I had this podcast, if nobody else watches this, if it's nothing else other than just for me, man, I get to have people on here that that elicited some kind of emotion, whether it's good, bad or indifferent, whatever it is. Right. And with this book, with what you're doing now, it's important because so many of us, even though these things are not meant for kids, as you keep saying, I got to see these as kids. These these cartoons touch me in a different way, but it's I can look at it and like ah, Pepe Le Pew. Everybody knows a Pepe Le Pew, you know, maybe not French. He might smell, you know, Mm -hmm. but somebody knows that weird guy that's just trying to do weird stuff. Everybody knows somebody that's like Daffy or Taz or Tom or Jerry, you know, insert character here, right? You know, and what you're doing is you're chronologically putting these things into place so people can can have an an, an idea of what you said earlier, context, right? Context Mm -hmm. is king, right? You got to know where it comes from, to where we're going, to where we're being. I can't remember what president said, and I can't remember the exact quote, but if you don't know where you came from, essentially, you don't, you're doomed to make the same mistakes or something along those lines. I don't know if you know that quote. If you don't don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it or something like that. Exactly. Right. So, you know, like I said, man, you were doing a fantastic job. I hope that if nothing else comes from this conversation, maybe a greater appreciation of what you had to do. Cause like I said, ladies and gentlemen, at the beginning of this podcast, this shit was done before Google, before yeah. Wikipedia. They didn't have email. I mean, I'm pretty sure there was email around there somewhere, cooking around at MIT, but very, very few people. I can't remember when the first email was sent, but very few people had anything to do. I mean, computers were million dollar machines back then. Right. Um, and as big as a, a room. Oh yeah. Oh, a whole, a whole Floor in a building. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, so just, Taking that into consideration alone, like I said, I would have pulled my hair out on a consistent basis, trying to get all of the stuff that you guys put into, I mean, what's the, it looks
1: looks easy when it's in a book published like that. But yes, as you're saying, it's every page was, you know, uh, a big deal to do. You know, when we did that book, I I, I have said this before to people, um, but this will tell you something. When we finished, that book came out in 1980, I swear we looked at each other like, well, that's it, we did it. We did it, we did it. And guess what? Every single day since that moment, uh, something new has been found, Some every single day. And that's why I started my cartoon research blog, which we have a pretty much a new article every day. It's, it's, there's so much stuff, especially in the last 15, 20 years, uh, that has come to light, uh, things that were lost when we wrote that book. I mean, literally lost have, have reemerged. We found them in vaults in Russia. And I mean, really, you know, to me, my website, uh, my blog is, uh, uh a continuation of, of mice and magic. You know, uh, if I had my druthers, I would have just started a blog called of mice and magic 20 years ago. And then this would be the addendum to that book. Um, but that's what it is. And, and um, uh, you know, it, it's, I'm still researching and it. it's, it's, we're still doing it. I have a lot of colleagues now and friends and writers and young people who have come to the fore, uh, uh, you know, there's some, and I, they're the people who write for my blog. Uh, I mean, I'll give a shout out to uh, Devin Baxter, who's one of my writers and uh, uh, oh, Camden Spees. An, these are like young people, uh, younger than you, I think. Yeah. Who are who are who are doing the Lord's work on their own and and, and allowing me to post their things, you know, because most people don't even have blogs anymore. People did about 10 years ago, but uh, but uh you know, I'm I'm kind of the last man standing, and that's kind of great. I mean, I, I like that there's one central clearinghouse for, for for people who are interested in this. So, and there's more and more and more of that. It's anyway, it's I'm I'm happy that more people are aware of it and that this is what we wanted back in 1980. This is what I wanted in 1980. Uh, you know, I won't go off on a tangent now. It could be another future podcast, but I, uh, one of my many adventures in my Forrest Gump-like life um, <laughs> is, uh, was uh, when I started this company called Streamline Pictures in uh, around, uh, oh, I guess it was 1988, 89, 90. And uh, we did, we started distributing Japanese anime to the United States when no one was doing it and no one cared. Yeah. And, uh, and Holly, I mean, why, how, why was I, why did I do it? Why, why? because, because there was, nobody cared. The mm-hmm. Hollywood didn't want them. No video distributor wanted. I know it's, it's like science fiction because well, that's hot, isn't it? Or isn't it on, it's on Adult Swim or, or it's everywhere, you know, uh, but No, it was the complete, it was the complete, it was such a non-entity. It was a nothing. And um, uh, we just did that. And again, I'm not, we didn't make any money ultimately, but we were, we succeeded in doing something we wanted to do, which was to get, spread the word, get these things shown. Um, You know, uh, the world that we live in today was what we were aiming for. We were aiming for, you know fans of this and you know taking taking it on and and and, and championing it and that all happened um, that's another one, one of these things i've i've gone i've actually had that sort of thing happen several times um, you know in my crazy world i've had things that happened things that didn't happen i've had all over the place but it's all in the service of the same thing i'm trying to prove to people that this medium is bigger than bug's bunny and if you but if it's just bug's bunny bug's bunny isn't the kids kids thing in my mind it's it's general entertainment for anyone i don't want to keep repeating myself so go ahead and ask me some other questions <laughs> no, it,
0: it, it's perfectly fine man i know you said you, yeah, your time was short here when we were talking earlier so i won't keep you on i got two questions and i always okay. ask these questions to an extent and i always have to change them depending on who i have um and there's one that i actually thought of when when you were talking about you know some people that influence you like the joneses the clampets mm-hmm. a few other animators and people that you've met along the way right Yeah. Made friends. And you said that you went up to them and they had, I want to say they had touched you, but they for sure influenced your line of work. They influenced you to an extent. And what is it like, you know, 30, 40 years down the road? And if you go back and you think about that conversation we had with them, how they influenced you, or Mm -hmm. how their work meant something so much to you that it, it, it changed your path, your career, your life, it changed it for good, bad, or indifferent, however you want to look at it, right? It changed your trajectory of your life. What is it like thinking about it? And I don't know if you've ever been asked this question. I'd like to say you haven't maybe, but nonetheless, what is it like having a new generation of people like myself coming up to you and saying the same thing, man? You know, I I see you laugh at it, but every time I talk to somebody, man, like I said, you, you guys have influenced me in some way to ask the question, why, how, when, I mean, why is it done this way? So what is it like having an entire generation of people look up to you the same way that they might've looked that you looked up to the Joneses and the Clampets and the Barberas and the Hannah's and all these other people, man. Is it weird? It's weird. It's a little weird.
1: Um, that's because I don't see it that way. I, I hear you. And I obviously can identify with that. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I very much can identify. I still have uh, writers and uh artists that I admire who are working today and and even podcasters that I watch. And I'm like, I like what they do. I like what they're saying. Um, so, I mean, I, I understand, I understand the nature of that. Um, uh, that's a, it is, that's an interesting question. Um, I still see myself as you, I see myself as the fan. I still see myself as the kid who just came home from school and was watching and doing his homework with Bugs Bunny on in the background. And, and, uh, and, uh, you know, and when I met the people, I mean, I feel like aggressing to, uh, you know, I remember when I met Chuck Jones, I had already done a Mice and Magic. I worked on a, another, an earlier version of my Looney Tunes book and, and people like Chuck and Frizz, who i had never met, they, they met me, they knew me, yeah. they, meaning they, they, you know, Jerry Beck, let him in. You know, Jerry, i quite admire what you. Uh, Chuck Jones is saying that to me, <laughs> and I'm like, I is I'm in another mirror world of reverse. Um, so, um, you know, I don't. I don't even know. I, I I I I don't. All I know is I am. I like. I do think of myself again. I, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but I I do think of what I've been doing as uh, being a representative of all the other me's out there who aren't wherever I am at that point. You know, if I'm talking to Chuck back, back then, Chuck Jones or Rob but I'm speaking on behalf of everybody who feels like me and I don't even know those people. I, I am, cause I know, in the case, I'm just gonna digress slightly, but was I know that, that when I was in high school and kids are picking on me for reading comic books and watching cartoons, but I would come home and the cartoons were my escape. The Bugs Bunny is chased by a lion all around the circus and for doing nothing just by, cause he's sleeping in the hole that's below the, the you know, the, the, lion. the circus cage. And, and, you know, you know, and then, and but Bugs has all these tricks and, gimmicks and cartoon gags to get him out of whatever his current predicament situation is, or to blast the, the lion or hit the lion over the head with something. And, you know, it was like wish fulfillment. It was what I wanted to be, you know, I, yeah, I grew up with Marvel serious comic books, you know, uh, the Avengers and, 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 and Superman and Batman and all that. And I love those things, but and I still do. But, um, but the cartoons spoke to me because they were completely abstract. They were exaggerated. Uh, They were a world that absolutely didn't exist, but I felt like I'd learned some things through it, strangely enough, and I think I did. You know, I'll tell you, I'll give you a a thing I like to think about and I've told other people, but um, the cartoons I love, loved then and still love, were the ones that were made in the 1930s and the 1940s. And there's an optimistic feeling There's also a realistic feeling in them. During the 30s, the depression is on, and nobody knew how they were going to pay their rent. And it's just, there's a depression on it. These cartoons are designed to make you feel better. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to get out of the dumps. There's a Disney cartoon about broken toys. And it's a, uh, what's the word? Parallel analogy. It's, It's a metaphor for the dumps represent people who are living in poverty and the toys are all broken. And and there's a song in it about, we're going to get out of the dumps. And it's like, yeah, we're going to get out of the dumps. And when the, that gave me hope, when I get hope, there's the magic word. And when um, World War II then breaks out and Bugs Bunny emerges and a lot of those wartime cartoons are just amazing to me because they explain what's going on. And they also, are fighting back whether it's popeye or daffy duck versus hitler you know um they're there it's it's a different attitude it's it's a you know doing it with a laugh before you spit in their eye you know the villain the bad guy the bully in school or to people back then it could be more than that the people of other eras it was the landlord or your boss you know these characters represent us as you said before we can identify with these characters and um uh, there's a cartoon, there's a Bugs Bunny, there's, uh, it's, there's a cartoon, I think Clampett did it, called Crazy Cruise. It's one of those travelogue parodies where they go around the world and there's an end gag in it where the narr- it's got a narrator, oh, and now we're going to see this and now we're going to see that. And it goes, oh, there's there's some timid little bunnies in the field. Wait a minute, what's this above? There's a, there's a big vulture coming down to get them. And it's a war cartoon from the early days of the war. And they made the vulture they had japanese flags on the vulture you know and the little bunnies are scurrying they're scurrying into the bush and and then the gag is the bush clears away and there's a giant artillery gun that comes out and the and the you know the 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 bunnies are blasting at the vulture and we never see what happens we never see the vulture get hit or that he dies we just see that they're they're shooting at him and the uber end gag of the cartoon is one of the bunnies, they drawn very naturalistic, realistic bunnies, turns towards the camera. And when he does, it's Bugs Bunny. It's suddenly it's Bugs Bunny's face. And he's, and he just looks at the audience and goes, thumbs up, doc, Thumb, thumbs up, doc, thumbs up. And then the, the, the iris out happens. I think it cuts his ears into his ears and the ears form a V for victory, mm-hmm. you know, the V for victory sign. So thumbs up, doc, thumbs up. We don't see what happens to that. For all we know, the bunnies are gonna get killed Even you know, even though they're shooting this gun. And and he's just telling the audience, thumbs up. Ooh, I, I I know I don't know what that means to anybody else, but for me back in those days, that was like Bugs Bunny was talking to me. I know it sounds psycho. Uh, Bugs bunny was basically talking to me, saying, hang in there. We're gonna win. We we're the you know the bunnies, we're gonna win this against
0: whoever's against you. That doesn't and, sound crazy at all. I mean, you, I, I completely you. I completely get what you're saying. It's
1: cartoons like that, and it's probably about ten others. I can, I can, I have that feeling for, and I look at them. I still can look at them, and I still get choked up because they were the little. Again, they they gave me messages, whether they meant to or not. They they were they were obvious. They really were giving out messages. They were trying to be to the general home front or the population. We're going to win this war. We're going to get out of this depression. It's laced throughout these cartoons, and um, while when they were shown. In the 70s, when I was watching them coming, in, the, the message was still valid to me. And it was, you know, I I told Bob Clampett, I told Chuck Jones, I said to them right to their face, So I don't think I could have gotten through high school without these cartoons, you know, and I tried to explain it. And they got it. They understood. They understood because it, it, what they were putting in them, they did put in there intentionally for a different audience, yeah. for an audience back and maybe adults back in the 30s or 40s. But, but it, the fact that it rang true later was actually, I meant something to them too. It's like, these are classics. These weren't just ephemeral. Something I have to tell my students, again, without uh, taking up too much time is bending over for a second because I'm picking up a comic strip section. I keep this near me to show my students. <laughs> I go, uh, you know, this is the, the physical newspaper that most people don't read today is the comic section.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And... Uh, what we do, us who still read the comics, even have a rip in this one for some reason. Um, the um, is we read them, we laugh, <laughs> and then we bunch this up and throw it away. That's called ephemeral. it's a laugh for the moment. That's the way people regarded comics for decades. In fact, they may still do it when it comes to the newspaper strips, and that's the way people treated the cartoons in the movie theaters. All those cartoons were never meant to be seen again. They were never meant to be seen there was no television they didn't know there was going to be seen later on tv there was no they didn't even reissue them to theaters until the later 40s so after the war they they didn't even rerun them they basically always made new ones like like new comic strips in today's paper they never made they never made uh, they never meant for anybody to see them again they were just meant to be seen that week and that's the end of it and anyway i'm not even sure i'm going with that except that the these things are are great, are greater than than their what they were perceived to be in the first place, and uh, you know uh, the messages are still there. It's they're still strong, and uh, uh, and I will say now that I'm older, I can actually now say that uh, not only message received, message true, yeah, message true. Uh, you can be what you want. Look at me. Somehow I got to live a cartoon life. It happened. It actually did happen. Look, I had real jobs. I did real things in the real world way back when in those days. But, but uh, the, when I was working with Leonard, that was a, that was an, I call that a hobby that was on the side, a full-time hobby that I did literally every day, but it was, it was not paying me any money. It was not, I had to, I worked, I worked at, you know, well, that's another story for another time where I worked in New York. Uh, but I uh, uh, so Ultimately, my my passion and what I wanted to do and what I was doing melded with, you know, uh, it, it went from being a hobby to being something I could pay my rent with to, you know, uh, something where, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just happy. I have a wonderful uh, life of doing what I want to do. It's a little frustrating because I'm there's so much I
0: want to do and I still want to do, but we're doing it. I'm doing it. You still got plenty of time, Jerry. And <laughs> just before I ask you the final question and let you go for the rest of the night, cool. um, that story you told with bugs and the vulture and the Japanese plane—that mm-hmm. thing—rung. I was getting goosebumps when you were talking about it because I've watched it one time. And I joined the Navy when I was about nineteen. I got to see Pearl Harbor really? roll through Pearl Harbor. Wow. Um, and have you ever been down there? Have you ever gotten the chance? Pearl Harbor? No, I'm planning, I'm hoping to go to Hawaii uh, next year, but yeah. If If you get the chance to go to Pearl Harbor, it is the most surreal experience. I never intended to join the military, but in 2008, when I graduated high school, I had a pretty decent job where I was pumping... Uh, rich people would get their boats stuck in this little canal. So I was dredging canals, essentially, getting paid really good money, uh, Mm -hmm. $12 an hour back in 2008, for somebody that just graduated high school, and it was all under the table. So it was fantastic. I figured that's what I'd do for the rest of my life. And then uh, we got hit with hurricanes, because I live in Florida, we got hit with a couple hurricanes back to back to back. And uh, the water ended up rising so the rich people weren't getting their boat stuck so my job essentially went away searched for a long time uh trying to get a job and I couldn't get anything so I was like screw it you know I just joined the military four years and I'm done ended up doing seven years I got hurt had to get out um and you know here I am but getting to that story when I was when what you were just telling when I was in the military when I got to go to Pearl Harbor the reason I joined the Navy is because my uncle told me I was way too nice of a guy to get shot at. So don't join the Army. My brother was in the Marine Corps. He said, don't join the Marines. You're way too nice of a guy. Join the Navy. Right. So that's what I wanted to do. I joined the Navy and my first deployment. We're going out to Hawaii and we're going over uh, where the boats are still at the bottom of the bay in Pearl Harbor. Still really? in the harbor. Yeah. And when you go in. usually when you guys travel on boats you travel in what's called battle groups right so you've got the lead boat and they generally have the highest ranking officer on the boat they generally go first and then subsequently everybody follows them that's a lower rank right Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: when you go in you're proceeding honors and everybody is lined up on the outside of the boat and when they blow the whistle, that's when you salute. You're paying your respects for the men and women, mainly men during that time that lost their lives that are still down there. Um, and it is the most surreal, like talking about it now. And I don't ever talk about the military too much because I didn't have a fun time. It wasn't good. I got hurt, um, you know, really early into the, into my career and uh, just trying to deal with a lot of the shit that I was having to deal with. It was very hard being away from my wife um, very young, married, still married to her now. It would be 12, 12 years in May. Um, mm-hmm. And I have 11-year-old, and then I have another baby on the way uh, in a couple mm-hmm. months, right? So it's mm-hmm. all the pieces are really starting to fold in. But you know, being that young and being that away and not really having somebody to you know soundboard off of, right? And then going through that experience. And the reason I bring this up is because of that cartoon. The first time when you're talking about that cartoon, I saw all the symbology, right? From the depression in the 30s, when it really hit the dust bowl and everything like that, there was no hope. And then you can even go back into the 20s, before the Roaring 20s, when they put the Volstead Act in there and they were talking about the prohibition of alcohol. Nobody had hope back then, right? Everybody was still drinking. we talked about a speakeasy earlier when it came to the comic, uh, Comic-Cons. Um, but there was no hope. Then you roll into the Depression no hope. Then you roll into a war that we were never intended to really get into in World War II when the Japanese came and bombed us December 7, 1941, and they took out almost our entire Pacific fleet, right? So all of these things were leading up to no hope, no hope, no hope. (laughs) Stick your head in the sand, just get it over with type of thing. No hope, no hope, no hope. And then you bring up this cartoon that I've seen one time. And I think I actually saw this on a war vessel because they would have on the AFN, the Armed Forces Network, they would have cartoons and movies and stuff like that that would play for us. Sometimes it was brand new movies that were still in movie theaters. But if you're deployed, you can't really go. So they would send you out DVDs so you could see this type of stuff. And I think I, where I saw that was on one of the ships that I was attached to. Hmm. Um, and when you told that story, man, I had just this, this visualization, this realization, right? Just being in that moment. Right. Going away. And, and my no hope scenario was not as grim or, or, or bleak as the people that were on the bottom of the harbor when it came to Pearl Harbor. But thinking about where they came from, where they're at, where I'm at and where I'm going. man, it gave me hope like that cartoon gave you hope. And with this podcast, it's given me hope that one day I can do what took you so you and Leonard so fucking long to get in here. And that's what I want to do with this podcast. I want people to see the Jerry Beck. I want people to see the Leonard's. I want people to see, and I'm actually reading Chuck Jones's, I think it's his autobiography, Chuckamuck. I'm reading that one right now. It's a fantastic book. Mm-hmm. Almost done with it. Um, and uh, you know, I, I want people to see, you know, the Jerry Beck that people need to see. I want people to see the guy that will sit here and talk, and wax so poetically about a, a, a medium that is that has touched all of us at one point in time, right? It's given us hope that word you brought back up, right? It's given us hope. And I don't know what I was expecting with this whole conversation, right? You told me that you could go on and go on and go on. And I'm glad you did, man. I, I really had fun with this talk. And I always like ending it with this one question. Now, you you brought up a couple different shorts and animations and films that absolutely touched you when you were younger, when you were adult. And even now you look back so fondly on, Mm -hmm. but if you had to, and I'm not going to ask you what your favorite cartoon is or your favorite cartoon character is, or your favorite animator or anything like that. But if you can only watch one animated short, whether it is a full length, 20, 30 minute cartoon or a film for the rest of your life, or if you knew you had one hour left to live, Jerry, and you can only watch one more Ah. Cartoon. I can't imagine the scenario that that would be some horror
1: film, or that would be no, no. Um, one film. Well, I did do a column uh, because I am asked that question. I did a good column where I listed like 10, and I also said in that column that these are 10 out of 90, you know, that I would. <laughs> um, the good news, and the only reason I did that column recently, semi recently, was that in the last uh, five years of teaching or more, even, um, I tend to run the cartoons I believe my students should see and ones that, of course, I think are great and uh, are important to see. And and thus I get to see them over and over and over again, particularly in this last year where I've been remote teaching to several schools. And so sometimes I'm watching the same cartoon three days, three times a week or something. But um, the thing is, I realize is I don't get tired of these certain cartoons. There's certain ones I don't get tired of. And, uh, and then finally I decided to do a column with at least 10 of them because I just wanted to mention it. I want to say these are ones that really you could watch these over and over. Maybe it's, I don't think it's just me. I think anybody could watch these and um, uh, get something out of them every single time. Uh, I don't know if I can st- really distill it to one. If that would be really, really hard. Uh, I will say, boy, oh boy. Uh, boy! Oh, boy! If you um, could,
0: if you couldn't pick one, let me help you out here, real quick. Yeah, I mean,
1: I've got, a, I got like ten in my head. So I, it's don't,
0: like, I don't know if you earlier in the episode when you were when you said that one episode really stuck out to you. Yeah. You watched every episode and you would write down. That's what started the the, the filmography. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you will. I don't think you dropped the name of that cartoon, did you? I did. I did drop it. It's
1: it's not a great cartoon. It's a funny cartoon. It's called it's it's Hummer Time oh that's
0: right it's hummer time yeah
1: and it's about a it's i can't remember it's about a bird and a sparrow or or a hummingbird i guess and anyway it's a robert McKimson cartoon and it's it's a funny cartoon it's not a significant cartoon but it it had a gag that uh, a a very funny uh idea in it and um i mean when i did that list the other uh, luckily i did that list finally uh and i got to articulate some thoughts on some of the cartoons um that meant something to me. Um, this I could literally go through all of them and tell you why they mean. So It might be a good future, uh, you know, podcast for you. There's one. I mean, I'd want to pick one for you that that a I could watch over and over again, but and also, uh, you know, would be hopeful because if I were stuck on a desert island, I'd want I'd want to, um, you know, uh, I mean, you know, uh, oh, man. It's tough. There's, there's so many good ones that I like. Um, I'm so sorry. I feel like I'm wasting our time. And no, you're
0: not. Never I just can't.
1: I just, it's hard. I, there's a cartoon. I like a lot that I posted. This is totally not what you're looking for, but um, it's a, it's a Fleischer cartoon. Actually there's two Fleischer's on my list on that list that I did. One was, one was, and this is not one. this is the one that I'm not going to talk about is the very first Superman cartoon, the very first superhero cartoon, ever done uh they invented that you know and it's been very influential that series uh in for anybody doing adventure animation and anime but um that very first one is i've watched it so many times it's actually it's pretty routine it's pretty much a template for a superhero cartoon but it's it's really good it's it's got the music is good everything about it is there's so much to look at that every time i see it i see something different the um but one of my favorites, and this is no way, no way is anything I'm going to mention my favorite cartoon of all time. So it's like, I literally can't pick. There's too many good ones. Um, there's one, um, so many. There's one uh, that, a Fleischer one uh, that I wrote down. It's just, it's so innocuous. It's called um, Flight, uh, uh, Grampy's Indoor Outing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just, I, I think it's very well made. It's just, it's, it's typical of the series they were doing at that time. It's with Betty Boop and a little boy, and they're gonna go out, and uh, apparently there's a carnival in town, and they're gonna go out. And it's, again, when I say it's well-made, the Fleischer's use this three-dimensional background thing that's in the cartoon. I mean, it's more than just what I'm saying. It's visually opulent. And, um, the, the bo- and the little boy's gonna go out, and they're singing a cute little song, a beautiful little cute little song about going out and how much fun they're gonna have at the carnival. And then as soon as, and they're getting ready to go as they sing the song and they get to the front steps of their apartment building. And just as they got on the front steps to leave, to go to the carnival, it starts to rain. And, and, and Betty Boop is saying, oh, it's raining. We can't go. And the little boy, you just see his face and it's welling up with with tears. And, and he says, but I want to go. And I, I there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. And then the word gets out to another tenant in the building, which is, which is Betty's Grampy, who in the series of, those cartoons was a crazy inventor he's an inventor he just doesn't make he makes stuff out of junk He can find anything like this and and make it into something and and uh this is i think this is one of the they're in many he did many of these but this one's really good they um so he comes to the rescue he comes downstairs and he has them come up to his house and they turn everything in his apartment into an amusement park ride you know there's suddenly a whip and there's uh you know uh, uh you know you know the thing the hammer with the bell and, and everything yeah. you can think of that he he makes it out of found objects and then they top it they keep topping what he can do and what he can do and the uber topper is he's got them going around like a top like in a like you know like, like a flying saucer thing mm-hmm. in on their on the and he pulls a switch and they go flying out the window and uh then they're in they're in like something that's like acting like a uh, uh a a, a a a roller coaster car and he's pushed the button and all of the um uh fire escapes in this apartment building flatten out to become the track of a, of a roller coaster and now in three dimensions because fleischers did a thing with 3d in three dimensions the building co- <laughs> the whole building lifts up off the ground and turns and they're going around the whole building like a roller coaster and then it's raining out. So he also got pushes another switch and the and a giant umbrella comes out of the top so the so the they're covered with the rain. And the last shot in the film is just them going around the building in this this three-dimensional you'd have to see it. But I look at this card because it, it's perfect because it, it starts off funny and optimistic and something happens. They they're thwarted from having their fun. And then through the sheer invention, you know, a grampy, uh makes their dreams come true and then the way the pace of the cartoon it gets more elaborate and more elaborate till you end on this incredible sight of this revolving apartment building with an umbrella over it i mean wow i mean i, I mean i mean wow and and but the it, it's entertaining and all that and it's visual but but it also tells me never give up don't give up hope there's always an answer there's a way out these are the things I learned from these cartoons. You know, it's weird. It's little messages, but that's what makes me the person I am. And other, some, you know, I'm an optimist and I'm, I'm you know, there's always an answer. There's always a way out of it. You know, I mean, I've seen wonderful adventure action movies with that kind of thinking. Uh, but there's a cartoon that's telling us that. Um, that's what I je- gravitate toward. Uh, that's the kind of thing. Um, that i that i love you know another i've got to mention another one that i love i don't even think this one was on my list maybe it was yeah it was it's called it's a wartime one with daffy duck called scrap happy daffy
0: mm-hmm. and it's
1: similar in that it's you know he's he's collecting scrap metal for the army and the the yeah, nazis yeah. see him doing that you've probably seen it and he and they fire a torpedo toward it hitler orders a tor- <laughs> to get that duck and his scrap pile, and they send out a torpedo and inside the torpedo is a metal-eating Nazi goat, you know, which makes sense because goats eat metal and he's got a metal scrap pile. And that was what metal, collecting metal during the war was a big thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, mm-hmm. to make bullets and things like that. And, and uh, so then there's a little romp where Daffy is doing all kinds of gags to the, uh, the, uh, the, the goat and, uh, you know, to elude him. And then uh, finally he gets beaten up by the goat He's beaten. He's like, it's like the beat, his stuff beaten out of him. And he's lying on the floor. And suddenly there's a, I guess, a dream. But he suddenly there's the spirits of American ducks appear to him. You know, there's a George Washington duck and a Lincoln duck. And they all tell him America doesn't give up. We don't give up. And he's like, and oh, I love that. I mean, and, 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 and all right. And then and then the next thing after they finish their song about how American ducks don't give up there's a rocket that goes off, look up in the sky. It's a bird's plane. It's super American. Yes. And it's Daffy e. Duck as a Superman costume and he's super American. And, and then he goes after the Nazis and beats the crap out of the Nazis. And I mean, and then it turns out to be a dream, but then it turns out to not be a dream. It's very cool. I just love it. It's beautifully done. And it's, it's so to me, it's completely nuts and wacky, but it represents the spirit of the time, the spirit of America at that time, the spirit of the American person that we're going to get out of this. We are, you know, that, that, that whole term wasn't coined yet the greatest generation, but uh, that's what they were. And they did get out of it and willpower and optimism will do it. And things like these cartoons, you know, uh, and these again, ephemeral, none of these were meant to be seen again. They were there for a week and out. That was the end of it. And, you know, uh, it's my job to make sure you see them again, that you know about them, that you that there's a way,
0: you know, that's well, my job. I got to tell you, man, I, like I said, I didn't know what to expect when we were going to talk, man. I didn't know what was going to happen. I don't have other than a few bullet points and I'll show you my list. I don't know. If <laughs> I don't really have much. There's some key points. I like to hit, you know, what you're working on cartoonresearch.com. There was another one on here. I got it somewhere animation scoop blogs, those YouTube blogs. Um, and then for the most part, I just kick it freelance. Cause I, I, if I have a script here, it doesn't feel organic. It doesn't, it feels structured. It just feels like I'm, I'm claustrophobic in a sense, I guess. I just, I don't feel like I can get out of my, out of my own head. I'm sitting here always looking down, but, this is the first time where I've only had a few bullet points and I've had more stuff written down because you've said it. I've got a book list now for the next month or two, right? Four or five books. I've got a few cartoons that I'm going to pull up as soon as we're off this talk, man. And there's one thing that I really wish, or I really hope people take away from this and it's hope. It's something we've talked about. At nauseam for most people, they'll be like, "God, will they stop?" I'm not this optimistic, you know. But but there is one thing that that I think more people need, and it is hope, man. I hope that we can have this talk later down the road, man. I hope to have you back on, man. I, I hope that when people see this, they see a different side to Jerry. And I think when we're when you're talking about the Flashman Superman cartoons, I think we actually had a little bit of a conversation on your Facebook page because I think you had posted a strip. And we were talking about it a few weeks ago. I know you posted something on Superman and I was talking with Dan as well, Dan Reba. So I, I, it might've been just Dan. Um, That dude is a fucking wealth of. Dan
1: Dan was part of Dan was in the class uh, with Leonard, the Leonard Moulton class back in those days. That's where we met.
0: It's it's crazy how everybody's connected. The world is so big yet the world is so small. Right. Um, Like I said, man, it's, it's been so fun getting to talk to the person that helped put this Bible if you will, together of animation, man. Uh, it's been fantastic. I hope you've had as much fun as I've had. Like I said, this this conversation cannot be contained. We've been going for almost an hour and 40 minutes now. This conversation cannot be contained in an hour and 40 minutes, two hours, three hours. I mean, we could really go all week and we still wouldn't scratch the surface of what you and Leonard did so many years ago. And I know I said I was going to ask you the last question a little while ago, but this is my last question. Okay, for now now, I'm trying I'm
1: to be brief. brief. Whatever the answer is, I'm
0: going to be brief. Oh, yeah. perfect. Right. So the, I don't have the original, I have the revised, it says it somewhere on here. Revive, oh, well, revised. That's revised. Okay. Yeah. Now, and you you had mentioned earlier that you tried to keep it with, or with your blog and stuff. That was more of an, uh, did you say an amendum or addendum? Addendum. Addendum. Thank you. I couldn't think of the word. Um, is there any, possibility of you guys doing uh do you remember when the revised ed- updated edition was oh god and
1: that, that revised edition is old it's it's like eighty seven or something like that it, the book came out in eighty and the revised version was like eighty seven yeah, 87 um
0: do you guys have any inkling or do you want to do another revised edition ad well leonard has an
1: answer for that. it's really that's in Leonard's court uh I mean I've been trying to revise uh, I have other books I've done that I'm trying to revise. I did a book on animated features that's really just a listing uh, and um, there's another book I have like two books I want to revise I have another book idea I'd like to do uh, that i'm I'm hoping to do um, uh, I don't know if there'd be an update on that I mean I there's things that that if we did do an update I kind of did in another way. what I mean by that is uh, like I did I have all these things over there so I'm not going to go reach for them but yeah. Uh, but I did a book on the Pink Panther. And it's basically, we didn't have a chapter on the Pink Panther or any of that's all from the 1970s and 60s and 70s. And I think we were trying to keep it, you know, back to the 30s, 40s, 20s. You know, uh, we didn't want to really go up to the 70s and 80s were the period we were living in. We didn't want to even kind of touch the period we were in. Uh, So we didn't really do that. But, but had we done something on the uh the the patty freeling the studio that made the pink panther cartoons and the others uh, i i ultimately had a chance to do such a book um uh, it's it's really a picture book on the pink panther but i in the back of it i put a complete filmography of everything that studio did so so i was able to do other stuff that expand upon what's on in that book the feature book i did is called the animated movie guide that's kind of like it's every animated feature released in the United States up until when the book came out, which was 2005. And, um, I did a book that a lot of people like, but it's a little out of print. It's on my shelf there. It's called, uh, animation art. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, it's a really good book because it's because of the weird circumstance that was, that it was created under, um, a publisher came to me about it and wanted to do this book. They wanted it done for Christmas, and it had to be done like it had to be written really fast. And so we ended up, I ended up hiring a lot of friends of mine who were experts on a lot of different aspects of animation. And we, it's it's a it's a it's a concise history of everything in animation up till again around nine, about two thousand and five or so. And it's it's pretty good for what it is. It's called animation art. So I mean, I've done. Things that are kind of taking from of mice and magic and going further with it, you know. I'm, I'm I'm leaving out all the other books I did. I did books on Hanna Barbera and oh, I'm forgetting. I've done many books
0: on Looney Tunes, several. And um, yeah, there's a few of them I've had to drop like fifty bucks on just to get. So they've been uh, well, hopefully uh, they won't cost that much. But yeah. um, you Wish know, they of print. So
1: yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, th- I, I've tried to do kind of my own addendums in other ways you know for other publishers and uh Leonard Leonard had his own career going on wrote many other books uh he was on tv he's he's always involved he just he just did a documentary that unfortunately i don't know when anybody can see it but it's a history of george melies a great um trick film uh creator from uh, the beginning of cinema he's he's um there's a lot about Melies in Martin Scorsese's movie, Hugo. I don't know if you saw that movie at all. No, but he, Scorsese did a movie a few years ago called Hugo that touches on the story of George Melies, which is, a, a he's like the inventor of fantasy science fiction cinema. You, you should know about this guy. Okay. And I don't, he's not in *Of Mice and Magic. I don't think maybe, maybe in a minor way in the very beginning, but, um, cause he wasn't really an animator, but he made, he made, well, I, the only word to put is special effects films, but I'm talking about in the year 1904. You know, I mean, I mean, really early, the famous, I'm sure you've seen the image, the famous A Trip to the Moon, where you see that little moon inside of a... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's in his eye. That's yeah. George Melies. That's one of his most famous iconic images. And and he was an artist, too. He was great. And he, anyway, Leonard just did a documentary uh, about him, and I'm not sure where it's going to be seen, but uh it, it's been made and I have a feeling it's gonna be a year or two before it shows up on HBO or something. but it's uh, but that Leonard's is always doing something you know, in another, he does his direction, and I do my direction. We're still best friends. we still see each other and do everything. but um, uh, we, you know we, we're sort of that you know that's you know, it's, it still goes on, you know, <laughs> hasn't really you. ended.
0: Your, your, your work is never done. And I, 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 I can't, I can't wait to see what we're going to get, man. Uh, I try to read as many of the blogs as you post as I possibly can, but trying to keep up with work, kid, a new kid coming, four dogs, a cat, you know, a whole house we're renovating. It's but, difficult. I'm sure you can yeah, talk.
1: We'll always, morning. we'll always be there. That's the thing. It's just there whenever you want it. That's, what's great about the internet.
0: That, that's what's fantastic about the internet, man. And I really appreciate you carving out some time, man, to speak to me today. I, I'm leaving this conversation with a, a hunger, I guess, for more animation. And I hope that... Uh, I had some pretty good grades in college. I went to culinary school. So I hope I can transfer over to UCLA, at least on here. So I can take course, take some of your courses, man. Cause like I said, I always love learning about this. And well, if you're
1: that flexible with your family and everything to move to California. I mean, and, and I mean, I
0: was, I was stationed out there for a little while.
1: Well, you know, if you ever are in California and the and if the world goes back to normal um, here in LA, I, Up until the pandemic, I had many, many public screenings at several venues, museums, theaters. Um, I I, I had a a monthly Saturday morning at a theater in L.A., The theater that's owned by Quentin Tarantino. He owns his own movie theater. And uh, we show old movie, old old 35 millimeter prints. I I was showing cartoons on Saturday mornings. It turned into quite the thing. And then the pandemic happened. So we haven't done it in a long time since then. But. Uh, But we, I do, I do that kind of thing constantly, or I did, uh, and I'm sure I'll be picking up on it again. So uh, maybe at worst, plan a trip maybe uh, next year or something like that. And uh, there'll be something animation
0: happening out here, and I'm sure I'll be part of it. That sounds delightful, Jerry. Well, I'm going to let you get back to doing what you're doing because, like you okay. said, the work is never done with the animation. Never I'm done. Really appreciate you, man. He's been Jerry. I've been Julian. This has been a What's My Head podcast, and thank you guys so much for listening. I'll check you guys as I stumble through it again. I'll check you guys when I check you. Thanks again for checking out the What's in My Head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.